Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, whether you're watching us uh, here, whether you're online, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. We love you, and uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, if, if you're uh, just joining us today, uh, we are in our third week of a series on the book of Proverbs, and we've been examining, really, the main theme of Proverbs, the topic of wisdom. And so today what I want to do is I'd like to look at how wisdom should impact our speech, how it should impact our use of words. Now, when I was a little kid, <clears throat> when I was a little kid, I didn't know how to use my words well. And maybe I was the only person who struggled with that, but I suspect not. Probably everybody out here when they were younger struggled with their use of words, and maybe you still do. Um, but in that season of my life, I can even remember a time when I had to go to the principal's office uh, because I said something mean to another classmate. And when my mother got wind of that, she, uh, she used a popular phrase from the time, and uh, in, in jest, I think, and that phrase was, I'll wash your mouth out with soap if you speak that way again. And if you're, if you're at home and you see that picture, uh, maybe that gives you a little image of what, what, I, what it was uh, like for that to happen. And now I speak from a remorseful heart because as a result of that, I actually literally went to the bathroom and actually washed my mouth out with soap. And uh, it was disgusting, um, but... I have never forgotten that moment or the lesson I learned about the power of words. So even back in my elementary school days, I knew that words matter, right? How we use words matter. And so if you remember from what Micah just read, Proverbs 18.21, Solomon writes this. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, I'd invite you to think about that for just a moment. Death and life. I mean, that's pretty serious, right? It conveys very clearly that our words can affect someone in a very deep and profound way. But you say, well, words are a part of life, right? They're intrinsic to what it means to be human. Words have so much power, in fact, that we're told in Genesis that God himself spoke creation into existence. Author Paul Tripp notes the significance of God's use of words. He says this, he says, words belong to God, but he has lent them to us so that we might know him and be used by him. Whoa, right? God has given us words. They're important. They're something he's lent to us. Now, the book of Proverbs recognizes this reality. In fact, there's 90 Proverbs that address our speech, which is more than any other topic in the whole book of Proverbs. And why is that? Right? I think, I think we all know intrinsically this is a, this is a universal human problem. And so we ask, well, why is language so important? Why is language so powerful? Why do we need it? Why do we crave words? Well, I would suggest there's at least two needs that we have for words. First, we have a need for words from the inside. And what I mean by that is that we need to express ourselves, right? If you want someone to know you on the inside, you have to use words. Now, secondly, we also need words from the outside, that we need words from other people to en encourage us, to appreciate us, to recognize us. And when we receive those words, it's life-giving. We express ourselves from the inside and we receive encouragement from the outside through words. And in our modern context, I think that also applies to electronic communication. So today I want to speak with you about the power of words. More specifically, how do we bring our use of language under God's authority? How do we use words wisely? 
Well, wisdom stems, I think, from recognizing three truths. First, our words have a moral character. So there's a moral character of our words. Second, there's an emotional power to our words. And then finally, we have to swallow the antidote. Now, more on that later, but before we get there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for everyone who's here worshiping with us, whether they're here in person, whether they're online, Lord God. We know that your spirit is everywhere, Lord God. And so we thank you for the grace that you've given to us through your son, Jesus. And so I pray that you would uh, impact our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So first, let's, let's uh, affirm that our words have a moral component to them. Now, do you remember that old axiom, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, right? A greater lie has never been told to children of all ages. Yes, yes, words do hurt. Words can shatter a sensitive heart. Words can impact and alter the trajectory of someone's life. In fact, if that wasn't true, why are so many professional counselors uh, in business, Right? In fact, I'll wager that all of us here today can remember words that were said to us 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so if that is true, we should take seriously our use of words. Now, studies have been done that tells us that, that we speak almost 700 times a day. And you might say, well, I don't speak 700 times a day. All right, cut that in half or even cut that in a quarter. It's still hundreds of times a day that we speak. But how often do we think about what we say? Language has a moral component to it. In fact, let me give you an example from church. So most people would agree that the sin of adultery is terrible and devastating, and it is. But more often than not, the thing that actually can destroy a church is something like gossip. And that's perceived as just a little sin. Adultery is a big sin. Gossip's a little sin. But how we use words has destructive consequences. In fact, look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 15. It says, There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. All right, so what's Solomon saying here, right? He's saying that just like gold is a valuable stone, good words, intelligent, informed, knowledgeable words are valuable in God's sight. In fact, have you ever listened to somebody who it was very clear when they were talking that they didn't know what they were talking about, right? They were acting like they did. They were, they were acting like they knew what they were talking about, but it was really clear that they weren't knowledgeable about that. In fact, that seems like the standard fare on social media these days, right? There's a lot of people who speak, but they often are not knowledgeable. The point that Solomon is making here is that words are more than puffs of air off our vocal cords. They have a moral status. And there's at least three moral examples that, that, that Solomon gives in the book of Proverbs. The first one is lying. Right, look at Proverbs 12.22. He says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. In other words, lying is something that God cares about. It is evil. Why? Well, again, think about it, because too often we gloss over lying and fail to consider its destructive application. Lying is evil because it divides us. Now, on the other hand, true, sincere, honest words can bring us together in community. Now, back in the day, I was a major fan of the show House MD. Any other House fans out there? 
right? Okay, there are some. Now, Dr. Gregory House was a world-famous diagnostic physician in Princeton, New Jersey, and every time that he would try to diagnose a complicated problem, he would find that someone was lying. And so in each episode, if you ever watch the show, House and his team are investigating a case, and they would eventually hit a roadblock, right? This was the formula for the show. Eventually, halfway through, there was a roadblock. They couldn't figure it out. And so the team would gather together in his office around the whiteboard, trying to figure out what they missed. And again, more often than not, it turns out that the patient was lying about some aspect of their medical history, usually out of embarrassment or guilt. And so one of the catchphrases of the show was, everybody lies. In fact, I think that reality is ubiquitous in our society, right? Everybody lies about something. Now, the more interesting question is, why do people lie, right? Why do you lie? And I'm not talking about like big major lies. I'm talking about, you know, those small fibs that you tell to get yourself out of an awkward situation, And so we'll come back to why we lie in a moment, but first I want us to consider the consequences of lying. The first of which I would say is broken trust. If someone discovers you lied to them, they won't trust you anymore, at least not for a while. An injured relationship results from lying. Secondly, and equally harmful, is a concealed self. In other words, lying, and particularly lying about yourself, keeps people from knowing who you really are, and it leaves you isolated, alone, and desperate. And finally, lying leads to a false reality. Because if our life is based on a lie, or if our perception of the world is not based in truth, we will not live in reality, but a falsehood that can be destructive. Now, some of us are so argumentative that we will even sacrifice being honest for the sake of being right. And I, sadly, I think this is, this is true in our current cultural moment because our society has lost the ability to be honest about our problems and come up with honest solutions. Why is that? Well, everyone has their own narrative they have to abide by, whether it's true or not. So you watch the news, you listen to politicians, and they use lots of words, but how many are honest and true? Right? Words have a moral character to them. So what do we do? Proverbs 17.4 says this, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Now perhaps you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Bob, I don't lie. But do you confront lies when they come your way? The greater challenge, I think, for us is correcting people when they speak untruths. And often what we do is we listen quietly under the guise of helping people, but we don't realize that when we do that, when we allow untruths and gossip to run rampant without correction, we are part of the problem. Now again, when I was a kid, I, uh, I was always fascinated by garbage collectors, right? That would come to my house, that would pick up the garbage and that would take it away. And I always thought, like, who would want a job like that? And I'm sorry if you're a sanitation worker, but I just, I thought, man... I don't want to pick up garbage, but, but then I realized that we can just be like garbage collectors, right? People come to up, us with gossip about someone, and we don't correct them, or we don't direct them to the other person, and in that moment, we're like garbage collectors. 
Right? We're stuffing words in the truck, and we're not pointing people to the truth. Why is that? Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of the whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Now, initially, that seems to contradict that garbage analogy I just mentioned, but consider what happens when you eat fast food, right? It might taste delicious when it's going down into your inner parts, but it's still garbage. The truth is, we love juicy tidbits of information. Oh, man, we love to be in the know. That's the reason we love Uh, That's the reason they call it juicy gossip, or you read like People Magazine or Us Weekly or whatever whatever it is that you read. See, sin is enticing, and it can be very, it can taste very good. But Solomon says, beware the whisperer. In other words, a third moral example is don't gossip. Don't be a garbage collector. Remember that James says in chapter 3 of his letter that the tongue can set a whole forest a blaze, words of power. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 25, 23. He says, The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue angry looks. Now, a backbiting tongue can refer to destroying a person's reputation. And so you might ask, well, what does that look like? Well, maybe you go to a coworker and you give them a heads up about another coworker. You say, Here's what you should know about this person. What are you doing? You're tarnishing the other person. And you're making yourself look good because you're acting like you care enough about the coworker you're speaking to to give them this heads up. See, friends, gossip has a moral character. And before you engage in it, we we should ask three questions. First, would I tell the person I'm talking about directly what I'm saying? Second, would that person... I'm talking about mind if I shared this information. And third, would I want someone sharing this information about me? Ask those questions and you keep yourself from tainting the moral character of your words. But second, words also have an emotional power. Words have emotional power. Now, a number of years ago, I read a book called The Sacred Romance by uh, Brent Curtis and John Eldridge. And in the book, they discuss the power of words to impact our heart. Words can become what they call sentences that we live by. For example, if someone you love or respect uh, calls you stupid, or maybe they call you ugly or weak, or uh, you'll never amount to anything great. I mean, you can fill in the blank or whatever it is for you. The point is that those words, those arrows they call them, get lodged in your heart heart, and in many cases, for a lifetime. Words have the power of death and life. And so I just want to be clear that words can wound. Words can wound. In fact, some of us are sitting here today or you're watching at home, and you are dripping with blood from the words that were spoken to you this week. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. Very pointedly, Solomon says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, if you look at the first part of that proverb, he says rash words are sword thrusts. Are you someone who knows how to use your words like a sword? Some of us are. We specialize in it. 
I mean, picture a sword going through the heart of someone you know, figuratively, through a cutting remark. Words can set people on a dark path. Words have started wars. Specifically, words can harm people psychologically. So let me ask you for a second to think about the people you love most, right? Parents or spouses or close friends. Have their words ever wounded you? Have your words ever wounded them? Now, we don't care about what some people say to us, but there are other people whose words can affect us deeply, right? We can wound others. And so if I say an unkind word to my wife, it affects her more deeply than a random coworker. If I say something harsh to my daughter, that affects her much more than a random friend. And yet, so often, we are careless with our words. And sadly and often, the more we love the person, the more careless we are with those words because we think, oh, they know me, they'll forgive me. We don't stop and count the emotional cost of our words. But there's a reason that Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Now that's a sobering verse for us all. How many careless words have you spoken? Why does Jesus say this? Because words have emotional power and they shouldn't be toyed with. And let me just add that this is particularly true when it comes to electronic communication like texting and emails. Right? When people send texts, they don't have that immediate nonverbal response of the other person. So it can feel like words don't have power. But they do. Right? The challenge of communicating over, over text is that words still have that emotional power even if we seem hidden while we communicate. How many careless words have we sent from phones or computers and how wounding have they been? Instead, I would suggest we should be economical with our words. Look at Proverbs 10.19. He says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. See, church, how often do you think before you speak? How often do we measure our words? In fact, I suspect many of us say more words than we need to. I know that I do. And we often make excuses about these careless words. We say things like, well, sarcasm is my form of humor. That's just who I am. Right? I'm a verbal processor. Right? I'm a direct person. And friends, can I just say that that is, that is not good enough. We need to be better. If we speak more, we need to take greater care with our words because words have emotional power. So instead of being careless, we should train ourselves in at least two ways. First, we need to have empathy. And what I mean is that when you have empathy, you now consider how the other person will receive the words you're giving them. Because no matter the person, we owe them respect as someone made in the image of God. Secondly, we should strive for acceptable speech. Look at Proverbs 10.32. It says, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Now, that word acceptable means that you know the right timing for your words. You know when to speak. Have you ever said the right thing? at the wrong time? 
It is possible to deliver a truthful word that won't be heard. In fact, Pastor Ray Ortland says it this way. He says, the tongue of the wise cares more about soothing an injury than winning an argument. How about you? Do you know the emotional power of your words? Our words, yes, have moral character. Yes, they have emotional power. And using them wisely means we need to swallow the antidote. But what is the antidote to poor speech, class? What is it? Well, at the end of the day, I would suggest that all speech problems are heart problems. So let me come back to that topic of lying that I mentioned before. Do you remember when I asked you, why do you lie? Pause for a moment and consider a time when you told a lie. What was your motivation? Because there's something under that lie you told. Now, for some people like myself, the reason I don't tell the complete truth is because I want the other person's approval, right? I want to be thought of well by that other person. And that's a whole other topic, and we'll come back to that in a few weeks in a sermon. But I find this particularly true in situations where I might not fully agree with the other person, and I still want them to like and approve me. Or maybe you told a lie because you know that if you told the truth, you wouldn't get what you wanted. And so you told an innocent white lie to manipulate the situation. Right? We often lie because we want to self-justify ourselves. We want to make ourselves look good for the other person. And those lies are flowing from the heart. See, in the Bible, the heart is the controlling center of humanity. Your heart is the throne for all of your hopes, all of our loves, everything we find security in, and our speech flows from the throne. This is the reason Jesus says in Luke 6.45 and some cross-references in Matthew, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Why? For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. So what's in your heart? That's the question. Because usually when we're stressed or we don't get what we want, our words become more coarse. And, th- and then we say, well, that's, that's not who I am. I was just having a bad day, right? But that is who you are. It's just what was inside came out when you were stressed. Don't you see what's coming out of your mouth is simply what has been stored up in your heart. And if you want to know the antidote to your speech, you have to get the medicine. You have to get the the therapeutic deep down in your heart and heal the root of the problem. But what is the medicine? What is the antidote? It's the gospel itself, friends. You see, some of us have been going to church for a long time. Some of us have become professional Christians. For decades, we've been going to church, and we have learned the rules of a religious life. And so we try to modify our behavior or our speech to be acceptable, but it's it's never going to truly and finally heal the problems of our speech. And what we need is a transformed heart with Jesus sitting on the throne. And once we recognize that all our hope is found in him, all our worth is found in him, all our love is found in him, we will be in the safest, most protected place under his wing. When our hearts are finally satisfied in him, it will transform our speech. Why? Because we don't need other people's approval. We don't need to prove ourselves. 
because we have all we need and now we can think about others first. See, Jesus, the final word, as Hebrew 1 tells us, has been spoken over us and now we've been adopted into his family. His love has been poured out upon us. It's then that our language stops causing death but gives life. Look at Proverbs 12, 25. He says, anxiety in a man's heart brings him down, but a good word makes him glad. And some of us need a good word today, right? And when we're healed, we become healers and life givers. Don't you want to be an encourager today? I got to tell you that everyone needs encouragement. Look, if you look around, uh, people that are sitting here in, in the tent or you're at home and you look around with the people you're with or you scroll through your social media feed or whatever, people need encouragement. They need life. And when we swallow the antidote, when we, swallow, when we get the gospel deep down in our heart and there's healing, we can wield our words not as weapons but as medicine for the soul. Friends, words have power. And so let me close with a story I heard from a seminary professor. In the first week at Denver Seminary, I was taking a, a spiritual formation class. And to illustrate the power of words, my professor told this story about how he hurt his wife with his words. They had gotten into this argument, and his tongue had become a sword. And that's not uncommon for us, but, but the next part is what struck me. He said, when I went to ask forgiveness from my wife, what I really wanted her to say was, it's not a big deal, it's okay. But instead, she said three words. She said, I forgive you. And he paused and explained. He said, if she said, well, it's not a big deal, that let me off the hook. But she said, I forgive you, which meant I did something wrong. And he said, it pierced my heart and made me realize the power of words to wound or to heal. And her words were medicine for my soul. Church, I pray this week that our, wound, our words would not wound, but they would heal. As we submit ourselves to the perfect word himself, Jesus Christ, and remember that we are his. Receive these words from the Apostle Peter. In chapter 1, verse 23 of his letter, he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Thank you for my friends who are here listening or my friends who are at home watching. Lord, I pray this week that you would cleanse our speech. Lord Jesus, may you come and sit enthroned upon our heart and that what flows out of our heart comes from you and not from our sin, Lord God. Bring healing and help us to be life givers who encourage. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.